0: Some would say that this is the most important intersection in our community, right there, Highway 78 and Highway 21. But I want to say to you this morning that that's not the most important intersection. The most important intersection is actually happening right here in this building, right now in this moment. It's the time when the Word of God meets the heart of man. What happens when the Word of God meets the heart of man is the most important intersection in the world. And so the question that we want to ask this morning is, how does the human heart respond when it comes into contact with the Word of God? And you want to personalize it, how does my heart respond to the interaction that I have with God's Word? Jesus teaches us in Mark 4 verses 1 to 20 that there are four kinds of hearts, four kinds of hearts that hear the Word of God. And before we read and study the text, I want, to, I want us to step back for a moment and look at our aims, look at our goals, because this text is probably very, very, very familiar to almost every one of you. I'm looking around at our congregation. I know everyone who is here. I know everyone who, is, who has probably studied this text before. And so, let's just establish at least four aims of studying this passage this morning the first aim that we want to have is clarification all right Jesus wants us to understand why some people reject the word why some people embrace the word and then why others seem to accept it and embrace it for a while and then reject it and then accept it again and reject it he wants us to know why that happens So we want to be clear on that. The second goal is self-examination. All right, Jesus wants us to take a spiritual mirror, as it were, and to see what it is that we do with his word, with his gospel. I am confident that Jesus did not share this parable, scripturate it, so that you and I can sit back and read it and look at everybody else's life and judge them and their response to the word. I am confident that we need to look at our own hearts and see what kind of heart I myself bring to the Word of God. The third goal is to be warned, to serve as a warning. Jesus wants us to be warned about the propensity of the human heart to intersect with the Word of God and then to turn away from that Word, to ignore it, to reject it. We have a tendency to turn away from it, and Jesus gives us a strong warning about the fruitlessness and the destructive nature of it and then the fourth goal is assurance assurance he wants us to be affirmed jesus wants real christians who bear real fruit who really love him to be assured of their of their relationship in him and to be affirmed in the direction that they are going all right, if you're a person who loves Christ and serves others and zealously pursues the praise and honoration of God, then he wants you to walk out of this building today not thinking, I don't love him enough, I don't serve enough, I'm not good enough. He wants you to be affirmed that, that you do bear fruit and that you do love him and that he wants you to progress in that. And so the question that we could ask is, can I be assured of eternal life? So clarification, self-examination, Warning and assurance would be our goals this morning. So now let's look down at the text. Mark 4, beginning in verse 1. I'll make some explanation as we go. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. If y'all can remember in weeks past, he had asked for a boat. Remember that? This crowd is possibly the largest crowd that Jesus ever preached to, right here. So they're all up on the side, and he has to get into the boat, and, he's, and the boat essentially serves as a pulpit for him as he sits in it and preaches to this massive crowd. And I think we want to make the observation right off the bat that Jesus preaches to everybody. In light of what this parable is about and what Jesus teaches in the parable, Jesus doesn't handpick the people that he spreads the message of the gospel to. He just spreads the message. Alright, so it's, it, it could be to crowds on the, on the side of a hill like this, or it can be in the synagogue to a ju- bunch of Jewish, very religious people, or it can be in a house to sinners and tax collectors, or it can be a, a woman who is a Samaritan beside a well. It doesn't matter where it is, Jesus is going to spread the seed of the Word of God, the Gospel of God. Okay? Verse 2. As He was teaching them many things in parables... And in his teaching, he said to them, I just want to quickly state, because we're not going to describe this in detail, a parable, it comes from a word that means to to put beside, to place beside. And so a parable is simply placing a word picture, an illustration, a story beside a truth, beside a principle in order to explain it or in in order to elucidate it. Okay, A parable is simply... A picture that that points to a principle. All right, so he does this. He speaks to them in parables. And what does he say? Listen! Listen! Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Church, what are paths intended for? To walk on, to walk on. And so if we walked on the same path every day, back and forth, all of us, what would that do to the ground? Yeah, it would. It would pack it down. It would make it firm. It would make it hard. It would make it almost impenetrable, right? Okay, so this, this seed fell along path that was hard, that was packed down. And so birds came and devoured this seed because it was easy all they had to do was just swoop down and take it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. I know that many of you adults probably know this already, but for you kids... Jesus is not talking about rocks that are just kind of on the ground and spread out so that you could see these pebbles and stuff. Israel was famous for having um, lots of, of layers of stone right underneath what looked to be fertile soil. And so there'd be layers and layers of possibly limestone and other kind of stone that was just below the surface but not visible. And so that's the kind of rock that Jesus is referring to, right below the surface. And so it withers away. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. Possibly Jesus is referring to someone who maybe had cut off the thorns. Cut off the weeds kind of at ground level. But they were the root of the thorns and the root of the weeds were still there. Now for those of you who are gardeners. What things grow the fastest in your garden? Weeds. All the things that you don't want to grow, grow the fastest. And the things that you want to grow, grow the slowest, right? And so that's what's happening here. These weeds and these thorns are growing really fast and they begin to choke um, the seed that had been scattered. All right, and then verse 8. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold this good soil was ready to receive this seed it was penetrable it was rich it was soft It, it the seed was easily able to go down into it and then the soil was deep enough so that it was able to take root and so jesus said he who has ears to hear let him hear in other words, he says, listen closely to this message and resolve to do whatever it says. That's what Jesus is saying here. Have you guys ever heard Jesus say this before? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yeah, we, we studied it for seven weeks and a couple of months ago. And so verse 10, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. One of the hard sayings of Jesus we'll come back to it verse 13 and he said to them do you not understand this parable how then will you understand all the parables the sower sows the word and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. We just want to make three observations from that last section. The sower is the preacher. All right. Primarily it's Jesus Christ, but it's anyone else who sows the seed, who preaches the Word of God, the Gospel of God. The seed, Jesus says, is the Word, the Word of God. He doesn't focus on the sower. He doesn't focus on the seed. The assumption here is that the sower is preaching the right message. The preacher is declaring the right gospel of the kingdom of God. And the seed simply goes out. It's good seed. And so really the last thing that we need to observe is what's the ground? The ground is the human heart. In Matthew chapter 13 verse 19, Jesus is sharing the same parable. And in it he describes that the ground is the heart. It is the human heart. And so this morning... We, we could spend a lot of time extrapolating the soils of, of, the, of the place of Palestine. We could spend a lot of time in a lot of different ways looking at very interesting things, but we're going to hone in on the four kinds of hearts that hear the Word of God with, with the desire for specific and personal application. Four kinds of hearts that hear the Word of God, and we want to take those four aims that we've already discussed and begin to examine in that way. So let's look at the first kind of heart that hears the Word of God. It's the hard heart. The hard heart. He says, these are the ones along the path where the Word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the Word that is sown in them. The hard heart is the kind of heart that is so hard and so calloused and is already set on rejection of whatever God has to say that they will not allow the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Christ to enter in, to have its way with that person. Okay, And so because the heart is so hard, the devil actually comes in and snatches it up and gobbles it down so that there's going to be no way for that person to actually get saved. There's no way for that person to actually receive it and to walk in the power of God. Of it. This is not a hypothetical situation that Jesus is bringing up, okay? There, there were plenty of people who were following him and, and listening to his message, but they, they rejected it out and out, and so they turned away from it and wouldn't hear it anymore. Jesus talked about this. We observe it as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It happened every day in Jesus' ministry, and I want to tell you guys that it happens every day in the world today. People hear the word of God. They hear the liberating message that Jesus Christ saves and yet they reject it because their hearts are hard. Now, there isn't just one kind of a hard heart. There there are multiple kinds of hard hearts and they're expressed in a variety of ways. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these things down, okay? Because we, we want clarification here. So the first kind of hard heart is just rejection. All right. It is marked by rejection. It just simply says, I don't believe that. That's not true. I, 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 there's no way I can accept that, that, that Jesus is both God and man. There's no way that I can accept that the Father would actually have His Son killed. There's no way that I can accept that He rose somehow from the dead. I just don't believe it. I reject this message. And I want to tell you, through the years of evangelism, I've faced many people like this. I've told y'all before, I I mean, I've had somebody basically threaten my life if I said another word about Jesus Christ. They just out and out reject it. And I'm sure some of you have come into contact with people who are that way. But there are other ways to have hard hearts. There are other manifestations of that. So the second manifestation would be passivity. Passivity. I mean, it's not so much outright rejection. It's just an unwillingness to engage the heart and the mind to the message that beings preached. It's the kind of person who will simply just nod and smile and and those kinds of things in a message, but they have absolutely no intention to receive it and to apply it to their life. They're just passive. They come in, they come out, they're completely unchanged by the Scriptures. It's passivity, but it's hard. And then the third kind of manifestation of a hard heart is pluralism. I mean, we saw this last week in the Unashamed video, where the Christian had been sharing the Gospel with her friend for 25 years. And, and, and this woman who had been sharing the Gospel was convinced that the other woman was not a Christian, and she wasn't because she, she didn't believe that the Gospel is the only way of salvation. You remember that? It's a way, maybe, but it's not the way. I believe that there are other religions and other forms of spiritual expression that God receives and is able to say, yes, I receive you. It's a pluralistic heart. And the thing about a pluralistic heart is also the more they hear the Gospel and the more they hear that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only way to life, then what they say is, well, I'm willing to believe that every one of these other religions is okay, but I don't believe yours is because you're the one who's claiming autonomy. That's what happens in a pluralistic heart, but it is hard. And then there's the self-righteous heart. The self-righteous heart. This heart is unwilling to embrace the fullness of the gospel. They hear the message of grace. They hear that, that Jesus loved you so much that He took on human flesh and He lived the life that you're supposed to live, that you're called to live and you don't. And so He died the death that you deserve. He experienced hell on the cross on your behalf so that, so that he, he exchanged his, his righteousness for your sinfulness. So you could exchange your sinfulness for His righteousness. You could have that great exchange. And then He rose from the dead and He ascended into heaven. And one day, He's coming back to earth to, to rule and to reign in His kingdom. And He wants you to be a part of that. And they hear that message, y'all. And they say, well, I'm willing to receive it. But I also want to declare that I've lived a good life. I, I've done some really good things. Like, I, I have a moral high ground to stand on. I mean, I have cared for people. I have given money to organizations. I have denied myself and cared for my elderly parents, and that's got to be worth something when I stand before God. They want to hang on to that moral high ground that they have lived their whole life and say, I've got some things that I can bring before God. And I want to tell you that that kind of heart is not a soft, moldable, shapeable heart. That kind of heart is a hard heart. And that kind of heart will not be received in the kingdom of heaven. And then finally, there's the distracted heart. I mean, it could be a problem. It could be a a person, a job, a relationship. It could be some idol of some way. It could be busyness or professional ambitions, a social life. But you're just distracted so that you don't even hear. It's like we talked about a few weeks ago. It's that Charlie Brown voice that comes from the preacher or the person who's reading the Word or when you're singing the songs. It just doesn't hit home in the heart because you're completely distracted. And this is not a passive distraction. This is an active distraction. I mean, listen, it, you, you can sit in a service and, and you can be totally caught up with, with your broken pen or a, a, a bump that has come up on your arm or the shape of the rocks on the back of the wall or the color of the preacher's shirt or whatever the case may be, you're counting lights or whatever it is, but you're just distracted and you find anything that you can do to distract yourself from the Word of God because your heart is hard. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. We see it in the Scriptures all over. If you read the book of Exodus, you see there's one individual whose heart is so hard. Who do we read about in Exodus with a hard heart? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. You know, at one point, Moses and Aaron go to him and they say, the Lord says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice and obey his command? Who is he? And you read through the scriptures, you see people like the Pharisees. Hey, you guys are in in Mark 4. Look over at Mark 3. Look at Mark 3 and we studied this two weeks ago. Mark 3, beginning in verse 1, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal them on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But these religious people, these spiritual people, were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their what? hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. We go on to read about others. The Pharisees, uh, Pilate himself was hard. You remember how Pilate on the day of Jesus' crucifixion was questioning Jesus, and he says, "Are you the Son of God?" And Jesus said, "It is as you say. It is as you say." Scripture leads us to believe that Pilate seemed to kind of believe that. Pilate then went and had him scourged and crucified, murdered. We go on and on in the Scripture to see hard hearts, but I just want to tell you guys this morning for our purposes, and I want you to listen really closely. It is not enough to be in the church building. It is not enough to hear the Word of God read and preached. You can be in the building and utterly unchanged by the Word of God. Every time the Word of God is preached, spiritual warfare happens. Every time. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. Your heart, every time you hear the Word of God, is either softened to the Word or it's hardened against it. And so the question for you this morning is, am I hardening myself to the Word of God or do I come in to receive the Word of God with a soft, plowable, rich, deep expectation that God is going to work something amazing in my heart? In what times and at what places, brother and sister, do you find yourself hard to the Word of God? Is it when somebody corrects you with the Word of God? Is it when the Word of God seems to go up against your lifestyle? Is it when the Word of God comes to you in such a way that you say, I've got to do something with this or if I don't, then I'm going to be in disobedience? When do you find yourself hardened to the Word of God? And you need to ask God to make your heart soft to Him and to His Word. Because if you don't, Jesus said, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the first kind of heart that hears the word of God is the hard heart. Let's look at the second kind of heart. It's the hasty heart. The hasty heart. Jesus says, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately they fall away. Alright, so, so emotion. It's, a lot of times, now it doesn't mean that emotion is bad. It doesn't mean that people who are earnest don't have emotion. But a lot of times, people who are hasty show a great amount of emotion immediately. The next thing is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. People who hear the Gospel, they immediately get fired up they want to tell everybody what's happened in their life. I mean, they want to join the church and be baptized and be an official greeter and sing on the worship team and teach Sunday school all in the same day. They just are excited and they're enthusiastic. Not only that, the, another mark is happiness. After their experience with the word, they talk like they're walking on cloud nine. I mean, have you ever heard people say things like, my life is so good now. My troubles aren't near what they used to be. My relationships and my schooling and my work is just so much better than it was before I had received Christ and before I had heard the Word. I'm so much more happy than I was before. You have emotion and enthusiasm and happiness. I think also you see drastic decisions. Drastic decisions. Have you all heard about those who go home and burn all their old CDs? take down all their posters, throw away all the clothes that they wore to different concerts and things like that. And it's not that those things are bad necessarily, but it's a drastic decision because you've immediately heard this word and you're excited about it and you go and do all of these things. Y'all, when you look at people who are emotional and enthusiastic and make these drastic decisions and all of that, a lot of times we look at those people immediately and say, if there ever was a true conversion, that person had it. That person had it. Dictionary.com defines the word hasty as brief, fleeting, and superficial. Brief, fleeting, and superficial. Because to see, as problems come up in the life, just as immediately as they heard the word of God and responded to it, they immediately fall away from the Word of God and go back to their old life. They say things like, I can't deal with this anymore. I don't know what's going on, but I don't like it. My family is rejecting me. My job is not going well. My bank account is not good my relationships have gotten worse, not better. I'm offending people. My college professor is making fun of me because I have named the name of Christ. My boyfriend broke up with me. My girlfriend broke up with me. I'm done with church. I'm done with the word. I'm done with all of that stuff. Now, they actually don't say that last part. They don't say, I'm done. I'm not done with the word. I'm done with church. I'm done with it. It's just that their attitude. And their actions and their priorities indicate that. This is the hasty heart. I want to make a statement to you folks today, and I don't want it to be confused, but I want to make it strong. Your circumstances have no bearing on the truth of the Word of God and His call on your life. Your circumstances have no bearing on the truth of the Word of God and His calling on your life. That's a fact. But what happens is is we believe fiction and we say fiction. Say things like, my life is, is so good right now, that must mean that God loves me and the gospel is true. Or on the flip side, we say, my life is miserable right now. That must mean that God hates me and that the gospel is not all that powerful after all. That's fiction. Your life may be good and it may be God's blessing or it may be you're just enjoying life right now. Or if things are not well and your bank account isn't good and your job isn't good, it may not necessarily mean that God is saying, oh, I don't love Him and my gospel's not true. It could be saying, I want to bring Him through this to show Him my faithfulness and my loyalty and my plan for Him to be sanctified. You know, I think maybe the, the clearest example of those who had a hasty heart were the people who observed Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Sunday and they're laying down palm branches and they're saying to him hosanna in the highest hosanna in the highest praise the lord and then 5 days later they're yelling out crucify him crucify him crucify him what changed what changed circumstances circumstances changed listen y'all do not gauge your response of the word of god on your circumstances gauge it on its truth and its power to bring about eternal life in your soul all right so that's the hasty heart that's the hasty heart we see it a lot in church all right let's go third to the hedonistic heart the hedonistic heart We'll repeat verses 18 and 19. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, the dictionary describes a hedonist as a person who pursues physical pleasure and self-gratification. Physical pleasure and self-gratification. That's what a hedonist is. And so the hedonist heart who hears the word of God actually believes it, affirms it, and seeks to go out and live it for a while. I mean, listen, when you see a person who is a hedonist, who has heard the word of God, you really and all oftentimes, they talk the same language, they sing the same songs. They, they have the same ideas in a lot of ways. So, so Jesus is not painting this picture that this person is this oddball that you'll be able to spot him from a mile away. It's, that's not the case, all right? There, there were plenty of people who followed after Jesus from town to town to town, and they, they watched him perform miracles, and they heard him preach his messages, and they were raising their hands and saying yes and amen. But over time, over a period of time, their strongest love began to manifest itself. Their strongest affections and their strongest allegiances began to show themselves. And when they saw that Jesus was not going to meet those expectations, what did they do? They left. They turn away and left. Jesus really makes it clear here. He talks about a love for the world, a love for riches, and a love for other things. He's talking about material things, monetary things, and even invisible things. He's talking about, in our day, he's talking about cars and clothes and houses and real estate and furniture and 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 jewelry and everything else. He's talking about material stuff. He's talking about monetary stuff. He's essentially saying, you know, your your banking account, your, your checking account, your savings account, your four hundred one k, your IRA, your investments, your stocks, your bonds. He's saying these people are more concerned about those things than they are the Word of God. They're more concerned about those things than they are the gospel of God taking root in their heart and living in accordance to its ways. You know, we oftentimes say to ourselves, well, I'm, all the, I'm not that concerned about money. I'm not that concerned about material things. Look at the way that I dress Look at the car that I drive. Look at the house that I live in. Look at the things that are obviously important to me. Look at me. But that's kind of a backdoor way also because that's that invisible part. I want prestige. I want, I want a reputation. I want people to look at me and say, oh, that person is godly. Or, oh, that per- look how simple that person lives. Oh, they just should be applauded. That's a backdoor way to receive praise and honor and adoration. And it's a backdoor way to rob God of his. All of these things are an expression of love for self. And all of it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. Brother, sister, I want to tell you that if your goal is to become the richest person in our community so that you can have the nicest car and the best house and go to the retreats at the nicest retreat places, then I want to tell you then you don't want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If your goal is to have the most popularity the most prestige, to be looked, up as, looked at as the highest and the best, then I want to tell you, you don't want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If it is your ambition to be the prettiest or the handsomest person in the community, then I want to tell you that you don't want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are seeking your own glory. You are seeking your own fame, and you're seeking to rob God of His. Listen, uh, I was reading through David Platt's Radical Again, this week, and a couple of things that he says in that book really rings true with this point of the hedonistic heart. Please listen to a couple of these statements. What is the difference between someone who willfully indulges in sexual pleasures while ignoring the Bible on moral purity and someone who willfully indulges in the selfish pursuits of more and more material possessions while ignoring the Bible on caring for the poor. The difference is that one involves a social taboo in the church and the other involves the social norm in the church. He goes on to say, don't settle for a Christianity that revolves around catering to yourself when the central message of the gospel is actually about abandoning yourself. Jesus is worth losing everything for. And if we walk away from Jesus, we walk away from eternal riches. The cost of non-discipleship is profoundly greater for us than the cost of discipleship. For when we abandon the trinkets of this world, and respond to the radical invitation of Jesus, we discover the infinite treasure of knowing and experiencing Him. Jesus was all too aware of the human heart's desire to latch on to things that we can see, things that we can touch, things that we can feel, and things that we can hang our hat on for our identity. This is the nature of the kind of heart that immediately receives it and accepts it, but then gets overcome by the hedonistic nature of itself. Be warned, church. Be warned. Finally, Jesus talks about the fourth kind of heart. It's a humble heart. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The humble heart says, there's only one God, and I'm not him. So I want to worship him. I want to listen to him. I want to be fed by him. I want to grow in him. I want to allow this gospel message to take root so that ultimately will produce fruit in my life. When, when Jesus actually uses this word accept here, if you see that, that word accept, it, it means to embrace, to receive, to internalize, to think on, to obey, and to follow. I mean, it is an all-encompassing idea. He is drawing on the Word of God to hear it and respond to it in faith. Let me tell you something about the humble heart. There is a sweet submission to the Word of God with a person who has a humble heart so that every time that they hear it, they say, God, teach me that I may know your truth and live it out. The humble heart is not hard, it's soft. It's not hasty, it's deliberate and thoughtful. It's not hedonistic and self-centered, it's God-exalting and Christ-centered. The humble heart says God doesn't exist for me, I exist for him. And so I'm going to sit under him so that I can be taught by him so that I can apply these truths to my life. I want to do two final things here. I want us to turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. I want us to look at a picture of a person who has a humble heart. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. Why is this man blessed Why is this man successful? Why is this man happy? Because verse 2 says, He delights in the law of the Lord. He takes great satisfaction and joy in sitting underneath its teaching, in reading it in personal study, in meditating on what it says and what it means and how it applies and what happens in his life. He is like a tree that is planted and it goes way down deep and then it yields its fruit in its season. This is a picture of what Jesus is talking about. But it all starts with a delight in the law of God that brings life, that brings joy, and brings delight. Now I want you to turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, 23, and 24. If you have a humble heart, a teachable heart, a moldable heart, what what will happen when you hear the word and accept it? What, What will happen? Let's read verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus talks about in our passage that the humble heart, will bear fruit that is 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. You want to know what you what happens when you come to the word of God and you want to be taught by it? You want to learn from it? You want to grow in it? You'll start seeking the highest good of the people around you. You'll start serving them and pointing them toward the glory of God. You'll start having a constant inner delight that is not dependent on circumstances, it's not dependent on your success or failure, but it's dependent on what Christ has done for you on the cross. You'll start having a peace, a reconciled nature about your relationship with you and God that then goes out and wants to reconcile relationships with you and everybody else. You'll have a forbearance with people that you don't immediately just just get angry and upset and sling things around and put your hand into walls or slam the phone down. or You won't have all of that because the, the fruit of the Word of God is being born in your life that you have patience. You, you'll no longer be out of control. You'll have self-control. You, you'll, you'll no longer be be so self-centered you'll be other-centered that it produces kindness and gentleness and and an ability to talk with people and treat people in a way that they need to be treated and that you want to be treated yourself this is the fruit of the spirit that is born when people sit under the word of God and listen and obey it by the power of the Holy Spirit the last thing I want you to do now is go back to our passage go back to our passage And look at verses 10, 11, and 12. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. The first thing that you and I need to see is that there are people who harden themselves against the word of God and against the Gospel of God. They are the people who look at Jesus healing a man and doing good on a Sabbath, and instead of rejoicing in the goodness of God, they plan a way to destroy Him. These are the people who look at Jesus performing miracles and forgiving sins and liberating people, and instead of rejoicing over that, they say, He has a demonic spirit. He is from Satan. These are people who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, I speak to them in parables. I don't explain the parable. I don't, I don't give them all of the truth because they have decided to reject the truth. They have decided to walk away from the goodness and kindness of God and the message of God. And now they have no hope. They have no hope for turning back because they have committed the unpardonable sin. So I speak to them in parables, lest they hear and understand, lest they see and perceive, and lest they turn and be forgiven. Folks, let's understand that if you ignore the Word and you reject the Word and you say things about Christ and you turn away from Christ and the Spirit of Christ, there may come a time when you no longer have the opportunity to repent and be forgiven. If I'm wrong, you tell me what Jesus means right here. What we need to do as a church and as children of God, we need to look down at the text and we need to look at verse 11 and we need to see that to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And we need to praise and thank and give adoration to our King of kings and Lord of lords that we have been given the truth of the Gospel. And we have not rejected it, but we have embraced it. We have been saved by it. Listen, you didn't come to Christ because you were smart, because you were strong, because you were wonderful, because you were intelligent, or any of those reasons. You came to Christ because Christ gave you Himself. So why don't you stand up with us. Guys, y'all come up and lead us in some music. I would like for you in a spirit of prayer to consider what you need to do with this passage. I believe that you need to thank God for His grace in your life that He has given to you the words of eternal life. I think that you need to commit yourself to listen to the word of God every time that it is taught and preached you need to open up your mind and engage with your mind the message of the scriptures you need to open your heart and expose the idols you need to expose the the things that you're worshipping other than Jesus and say have your way with my heart Jesus Jesus And you need to say to Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help me to obey the Word that You give to me week in and week out. Redeemer Church, be warned. Redeemer Church, be clarified. And if you're walking in the power of the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit, then as we sing these songs... I want you to be affirmed that you belong to God, that He has taken ownership of you, and that He seeks to bear more and more fruit in your life.